Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Brad Wilson, and today we are throwing down on a post-Super Bowl Tactical Tuesday once again with John. John, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me back on. It's my pleasure could you tell us a little bit about the hands that we're about to dive into today? Sure. So this hand happened uh, at 510 No Limit on Ignition. I was playing six max cash, um, my normal game. And I got put in a spot that I almost rarely encounter in a three by pot. And I had very little idea what to do. So uh, bringing this hand up to you now to try and uh, get a little more clarity on on uh, what I should be doing uh, in this spot. In yeah, this this is a very odd hand. I'm very grateful that it comes off the back end of me spending 30 minutes looking at this spot specifically because it it is very odd. This is a hand that's played at 1K No Limit. After the jump, we're going to break down a hand that was posted in the Greatness Village University channel where folks who live in the village can post hands and get feedback from myself, from folks like John or Coach Thomas, just any of the the players that are lurking around and pretty interesting spot at 200 no limit. So this hand though, 1K and L, let's walk the listener through the action. Sure. So... Sand starts um, with me at a five-handed table. I am in middle position, first act. I open pocket queens to $25 or two and a half X. And the big blind, who appears to be a reg, three bets to $110, uh, which is, again, a very standard sizing. And I think I am going to mostly be calling with pocket queens pre-flop versus a big blind three bet. And that's what I do. Why? Uh, Why? For the listener that's a little confused that you're just flatting queens here, why flat instead of four betting? I think the big blinds three bet range is going to be probably the most polarized out of out of all the positions, uh, other positions three bet range. And I think versus the super polar range, I want to keep his very weak hands in, like the six, seven suiteds or like the four or five suiteds that have very little equity versus um, my queens and uh, also kind of avoid putting all the money in versus the very strong part of his range um, where he's going to have a decent number of very strong hands that are going to want a three bet instead of of flatting. And I'm going to give away a little bit of something here from pre-flop bootcamp. One of the things that you learn is that when you're facing three bets and you have position post-flop, you're doing a lot of calling and not as much for betting. So here we have position post-flop. I have to imagine your strategy versus a button three bet would shift because in that situation we're going to be out of position post flop yeah i think versus a button three bet i would be trying to get 
all the money in preflop with queens. Um, whereas versus a big blind three bet, I, I would kind of I'd be pretty sad to be in a situation where all the money goes in preflop. Well, sad not just when all the money goes in, but also because we don't arrive at future nodes where we can capture tons of EV. Like we just are shortening the decision tree in a spot that I have to imagine that we're just going to make a lot more money calling with Queens in position here facing this three bet. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm way more likely to make mistakes folding or calling mistakes when I'm out of position versus a button three bet um, than I am versus a, a big blind three bet for sure. And also when you four bet here, you nullify that positional advantage, right? Like when we get all the money in pre, we just nullify our positional advantage. So anyway, lots of reasons why flatting I'm on board with. So you call the big blinds three bet. We started the hand with around a hundred big blinds. So there's 225 in the pot. John has 931. Our opponent has us covered. The flop is Jack of Hearts, 10 of Clubs, Deuce of Clubs. And so now tell the listener about the flop action. So I get to this two-tone flop with red queens. Uh, don't have the backdoor flush draw. My opponent in the big blind C-bets for uh, a third pot um, around $70, which I'm not at all surprised to see. I think... Um, you're, I'm going to find regs who have multiple sizings in this spot, um, who bet, who have like a small bet strategy and a, a large bet with some checking strategy. And then I'm also going to encounter some regs who, uh, just see bet one third with their entire range, um, after three betting preflop. So can't tell exactly which type of reg, uh, the big blind is just yet. But again, this is just a, a size that I think is going to be very common in this commonly used in this situation. All right, so there's two two twenty five in the pot. The opponent bets sixty eight dollars. Walk us through your thought process facing the one third with your queens. So my assumption is going to be that the big blind is choosing this one third to bet sizing with his entire range. Um, I think my exact hand pocket queens benefits decent amount from protection and also can get value from his jack x region which i think is going to going to find a pretty easy call on this flop he's also going to find pretty easy calls i think with his uh, maybe hands like two overs plus a gutter as well as his flush draws and open enders all of which i think he can have very easily in his pre-flop three bet range for sure and our raise is protected here we do have jacks we have tins we have jack tins suited in our range we have some Equity-driven draws, 8-9 of clubs, king-queen of clubs, ace-queen of clubs that we can also raise with. So if the villain did rip it here, what do you think about your queens? Mm, I wouldn't be ecstatic about getting the queens all in here, but I think queens, especially without a club, I would just call the rip and maybe fold, start folding like my queens with a club in them. Um, I think that would probably be... The strategy that I would use to decide whether to call off with queens on the flop or not. And I would just say, figure it out. You know, if we were doing a coaching session, this is a prime opportunity that I would say, run the numbers and get back to me as it relates to this bet. Bet rip on the flop to see if we can call with queens because I'm not sure. I'm really not sure when when villain rips here because, you know, he's going to have combos of ace-queen suited, ace-king suited. 
and king queen suited but those hands are not a bargain <laughs> like the, it's not a bargain facing those rips and we don't really beat much of his value rips like yeah. like we're either just dead or up against a range with a ton of equity versus our exact hands yes intuitively i feel like if if villain rips we should fold but again uh-huh. i'm not 100 percent sure and it, it's a math problem that i think you could just figure out so we're gonna move forward because the villain does not rip so the villain does in fact call john's raise to 247 so to recap the board and the pot size right now there's 720 dollars in the pot john has 684 back so a little less than a pot size bet the flop was jack of hearts ten of clubs deuce of clubs and now the turn is the ten of diamonds so it pairs the middle pair and the villain in the spot finds what appears to be a 20% lead of $156. And now the action is on you with your queens. Yeah, so this is where I get really confused. I see these turn leads when a second card pairs on the turn, or second pair pairs on the turn, most often in single race pots where the flop goes check bet call and the out of position player uh, leads a range that's usually trips and draws. I was very surprised to see this happen. This big blind take this line in a three bet pot where the flop went bet raise call. I had just never faced this line before or or faced. I think it's possible that I've just never faced a turn donk in in this <laughs> <laughs> in this type of situation before. So. Yeah, we only would... we only cover the high frequency, high quality situations here on Tactical <laughs> Tuesday. The, the man that plays fifty thousand hands a month, we cover the spot that he's never encountered before in his life. So I again, I don't have I don't have very much experience in this spot, but I sort of just defaulted to analyzing this in much the same way that I would in the single race pot where it goes check bet call on the flop and the out of position player lead. So I thought that. The big blind here is going to have a lot of 10x for his value and a lot of draws to kind of balance out the, the 10x region of his range. So the good news is that we did a coaching session where I ran this exact spot to figure out what the strategy ought to look like. And I ran it in a simplified way that could gain it, give us some clarity here. But before I reveal what my findings were, tell the listener ultimately the decision that you took. So I decided to jam over the 20% pot bet. So just to recap, the big blind leads for $156 and I put him, put myself all in for 684 and the big blind pretty much snap calls. Which is probably not a very good sign for yeah. our exact hand. <laughs> I, 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 I was not rooting for the snap call, that's for sure. What I find interesting about them leading the turn is that the 10 pairing is pretty good for them overall. Because we don't raise the flop with a ton of 10x. And it also reduces the combos of both jack 10 and our sets of 10s go from, you know, our sets of 10s go from three to one. Our jack 10 combos go from two to one. And it just feels like a a pretty intuitively, I I could see their lead. I, I could see why it makes sense. This is a card that's better for them than it really is for us. Um, just interesting that they found the sizing that they found, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah. So basically John ripped the turn. 
our opponent snap called, which is not good. And I guess you can give us the results of this pot and then I can share what we discovered in our coaching session. Sure. So I ripped the turn, get snap called, and the big blind uh, ends up having king jack of clubs for top pair and a flush draw on the flop. And the river ended up being a jack. So not the not the result that I was hoping for, but I don't know. I think I think like getting to see his hand and uh, seeing the hand that the big blind decided to lead turn with was I don't know probably the most interesting part of this hand for me, uh, much more so than the actual result, obviously. And going back, you know, the villain had king jack of clubs, so top pair with a flush draw, and they found the turn lead, which is not really a hand that we would intuit they would find the turn lead with. I would have I would have expected again, like I said, either a much stronger hand or a much weaker hand. Um, I I really did not expect any of his Jack X combos to take this line. Yeah, so running, running the sim, and which is actually fairly simple in this specific spot because the preflop ranges are so narrow. We have under the gun open and a big blind three bet. So then we also have a C bet on the flop and under the gun raising and the big blind calling, right? So ranges are pretty narrow. We can make a very good guess as to the exact combos, the exact hands that villains are going to take all of their actions with. And putting all of that into Pio, what was very interesting about this hand is that Pio does want villain to lead here like 97% of the time. (sighs) Yeah, that's, and obviously that includes King Jack of Clubs. Yes. So it it does include King Jack of Clubs. Pio wanted King Jack of Clubs to actually use the all-in sizing instead of the the tiny sizing. But Um, there were a fair amount of hands that did use the tiny sizing. And for what it's worth, in a spot that you've never encountered in your entire online poker career, Pio did want us to rip the queens so you found the highest EV decision. I, I don't know through. Yeah. I, I accident for sure. <laughs> if you just accidentally found the highest EV decision, but you did find the highest EV decision and their call of the rip on the turn is a no brainer as well. So like basically when I ran the SIM and looked at what everybody was supposed to do, everybody did close to exactly what they were supposed to do, except for the King Jack of clubs. It wanted them to rip that instead. Yeah. I mean, this hand was like, I I was almost a little like unsettled after I played this hand because he, again, like finding that turn donk, I thought was uh, pretty cool, but then also just like the speed at speed with which he called my jam. It was just like very obvious. Like he was like, I know what I'm doing in this spot. Like I know exactly like what, you know what I'm supposed to do with this hand. I'm not like going to tank here and like hem and haw with like King Jack of clubs, which is probably what I would have done facing a jam if I had somehow found the turn dog. Um, so yeah, it was, I don't know. It was just very obvious that I was playing against someone that had a much deeper understanding of, uh, of the spot than I did. For reasons that could be a lot of hard work and study and might could be something else, but Again, we don't really know what, how they found it, how they found the line and knew exactly what to do here. But ultimately, they did. Yeah. The one thing that this whole situation kind of hinges on too that makes the King Jack a snap call is if you shove your 
boats on the turn and your quads. Because if you decide to call with jacks full and your jack 10 suiteds and your quads and you don't rip those, his call gets much better. <laughs> like it, it becomes much more of a snap call. When I, when I ran the sim, you're shoving pretty much all of those hands on the turn. But if you remove those, King Jack is just going to perform insanely good. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, also just a really, really interesting point. And just like kind of a cool wrinkle of this hand that like I would not have thought of myself for sure. And and in reality, yeah, I'd be like really tempted to just flat my pocket jacks and my quads and my jack tens that boat on the turn thinking like, okay, now I just get to like stack almost all of his 10x and like collect all the bluffs that he fires on the river when his draws brick. And even if his draws get there, I probably still stack him because he's not going to fold the river. So yeah, I can see myself very easily see myself not finding the jam with boats plus. But I think you should when they, when they construct strategy in this way, I don't think they fold almost ever to the turn jam. So like when they lead the turn small here, they basically don't really have much of a folding range when we jam. So like it's a free pass to just get all the money in when we do have our boats. Gotcha. But anyway, very, very interesting hand. And now we're going to head into the break and coming out of it, we're going to break down a hand that was played at 200, no limit. That is a hand that does happen with way more frequency than this hand with the Queens. Hilariously enough, by the way, I just want to share this with the listener before we go to the break. When I was saving this tree, the last tree that I saved was also a hand John and I covered in our coaching session. And the title of it was Weird Queen Queen Hand. So (laughs) (laughs) I had to save this one as Weird Queen Queen Hand 2. Maybe I should just learn how to play pocket queens one day. Yeah. One, <laughs> one day you'll figure it out. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. All right, welcome back to this episode of Tactical Tuesday with John. And before we break down hand number two, just want to let you know that fish in a barrel time firing up this Saturday, sea betting strategies, optimal exploits against your friendly neighborhood fish and whales. Check that out at chasingpokergreatness.com. That said, hand number two was posted in our Slack community. The villager did not give me approval for mentioning his name, but I did not ask him for approval. So we'll just skip on the name aspect of it. If you want to know who played it, you can join the Slack community and uh, figure it out for yourself. But the hand was played at 200, no limit, six max on ignition. John, you want to break down the hand for the listener? 
Sure. So looks like this hand happens at 200 no limit and starts with our hero opening to two and a half big blinds from under the gun with ace queen off and middle position flatting the open. It looks like we are hundred about 100 big blinds effective. We go to a flop of ace 10 four rainbow. We have red ace queen. That's, that's where we are. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back, back a little bit. For those of you who haven't taken preflop boot camp here, what stands out like a sore thumb, John, first and foremost? Uh, middle position should not have any calls versus an under the gun open. Uh, it should middle position should probably be playing a pure three bet or fold strategy, especially at 200 NL where rake is going to be playing a significant factor. So that's the first thing that I would notice is okay, MP flatted here in a spot where flatting is not really a thing leads me to believe they're more on the fishier end of the spectrum. And so just want to set up right there. There's $13 in the pot. Heroes action, he bets one third, which is $5. And then MP defends. John, what do you think of Heroes sizing here on this Ace of Spades, 10 of Clubs, 4 of Diamonds board where Hero has Ace Queen? Versus the, like, versus someone that we've already deemed to be either a weaker reg or perhaps just a straight up fish, given that he uh, has a flatting range and position preflop. I think this is a spot where I would be tempted to go a larger size than a third. I think you can just, I would just go ahead and start betting like 50% pot plus probably like up to like two thirds or maybe even three quarters try to just win a big pot versus or excuse me win a bigger pot versus someone who I think is 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 going to be slightly fishier than normal you see how valuable the information as far as profiling our opponent is just straight away we know this player is likely a fish therefore we're going to use the best strategy that we have against our fishy opponents and Ace high boards, typically villain's going to be fairly inflexible as to the hands that they continue with. Having a queen ourselves is not especially good because it blocks the king queens and the queen jacks that are the gut shots here. So because we block the gut shots, because we dominate our opponent, considering they likely three bet us very, very often with ace king, I'm with you. I would like to size up to, you know, 75% probably here on the flop. I just want to get more money in the pot in a situation that's very, very favorable for us. Yeah, I think 75% is, is, is very reasonable versus this type of player. With that said, the villager does go with a one-third sizing. MP calls, and now there's $21 in the pot on the turn, and we get a queen of clubs. So we turn top two pair. The board is ace of spades, four of diamonds, 10 of clubs, and queen of clubs. So there is a backdoor flush draw available now. What do you think the hero ought to do, John? Again, just a great turn for our exact hands. Uh, I would probably opt to just continue betting really, really big on this turn. I think had I bet big on the flop, I'd be way more comfortable betting big on this turn because I think big flop bet is going to get our opponent to fold some of, get our opponent to fold king jack more often than a third does. And so had I bet big on the flop, I, I would be like really comfortable betting huge on this turn. That being said, I would still feel pretty comfortable betting very large on this turn, even after the uh, one third pot C bet on the flop. And what would you do versus a raise? 
I wouldn't feel great about getting raised by a weaker player. I think that weaker players are going to struggle to find bluff raises in general. That being said, I still think Ace-Queen is probably too strong to fold facing a raise. It's still within reason that our fishy opponent can have worse two pairs like queen 10 or maybe even like slow played ace 10 ace 4 on the flop so i wouldn't be super excited about calling the race but i don't think i would fold i would absolutely fold really wow i just like against a fishy opponent on ace queen 10 where they have all the king jacks available like that's 16 combos of king jack and we're like hoping for the outlier chance that they didn't raise ace 10 or ace 4 <laughs> on the flop when the hands that are more likely to slow play on the flop would be like pocket fours or right. pocket tens. Um, so it just feels like we are just getting absolutely smashed here when when our opponent raises. Even though we do have top two pair and we're obviously making an exploitable fold when we fold, I think that this, is, this ought to be a fold when we size up and our opponent chooses to raise when we have top two pair here. And that that's and and you would be happy to fold the chart regardless of whether you bet big on the flop or small on the flop. Correct. Okay. Because if we bet big on the flop, um, I think villains fairly incentivized to raise with their ace force and their ace ten type hands. Like they can they can find those raises quite frequently. And if we bet small on the flop, well, we just let all of his combos of king ten realize equity, and now he's got all the combos of I mean I mean king jack. And he's got all the combos of King Jack that raise the turn. And like 16 combos of straights on the turn is like just really bad news bears for us. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So with that said, we are entertaining a hypothetical that did not happen in reality. Um, I just was curious as to John's thoughts. If, if we did get raised here, what actually happened was our hero bet $15 into 21 and the villain called. And I just want to go back a little bit and say that I don't love our hero sizing here. I think that we should have just gone much bigger with our ace queen specifically because we can get value from so many, so many worse hands. How big are you going in the spot, Brad? At least pot. Okay. Maybe even 1.5x, but at least pot. Like I want to maximize value here from their ace jacks, um, ace jack type hands. And just their ace X's. I mean, they're they're a fish, right? Like if they've got top pair, then let's maximize value from their ace five suiteds or whatever whatever it is they might have. Right. So our hero bets, villain calls, and now the river is the five of clubs. So there's fifty one dollars in the pot. Yeah, backdoor flush gets there. I don't remember if we mentioned that the queen was queen on the turn was the queen of clubs which brought in a backdoor flush draw and the river was the five of clubs which completes the flush we did mention it but it's good to talk about it again because it's a very important piece of this puzzle so the five of clubs completes the backdoor flush and now what are your thoughts here john i'm still betting this river probably pretty big again for value with ace queen i don't know i, I guess like maybe, maybe like the moral or like the lesson of this hand is that like versus a weaker player or a fish like i'm just i'm not slowing down with my sizing or betting with my value range until until they do something that makes me right and there's a lot of good reasons for that right like basically when we get to play pretty perfectly versus raises on any of the streets facing our large sizings it just kind of makes us bulletproof where we choose large sizings, we get called by the worst hands, and when they have a better hand, we just fold versus their raise, right? It's, not, it's like 
pretty cut and dry simple. And you absolutely have to be sizing up here on the river. Like we, you know, we just need to be maximizing value in this spot. And had we sized up on the flop and then sized up on the turn, we would have a much larger pot here on the river. Okay, so we ran the numbers and if if the hero would have sized up to 75% on the flop and 75% on the turn, instead of there being $51 in the pot, there would be $82, which is quite a significant difference. And then we also need to factor in the size of our river value bet, right? To look at the the differences just by choosing a larger sizing one, right? Like this is the moral of the story. When you choose a larger sizing on earlier streets, it sets up a bigger pot when you have good value hands. And when you size down, you don't get the opportunity to maximize your EV. Yeah, so when you factor in the river size, if we would have sized up, this would be a $206 pot. And by sizing down, the final pot ends up being like $124. Yeah, so a $200 pot versus a $125 pot, quite quite a big deal as it relates to your overall win rate at the end of the day. We do have a little twist in this story though because our hero bets about three-fourths on the river, this flush-completing river, and now the villain raises us about 3x. Tell me about facing this raise on the river, John. I think this is just... Very similar to a very similar spot to what you kind of hypothetically brought up on the turn. This spot, I'm way more happy to fold than I am on the turn, given that we don't have outs to a boat anymore once we're on the river. (laughs) Um, I also think that one type of board or runout that fish play overly passively are are flush completing runouts and uh, kind of in conjunction with that monotone boards, uh, monotone flops as well. I think fish generally play too passively um, or over, overly passively on those types of boards and runouts. Um, so I would be much happier about folding ace queen versus this river raise on a flush completing river than I would be, for example, on the turn where uh, we're sort of only worried about king jack. I, w- I would not expect fish to find raises on this river with hands even as strong as like ace five. Um, I don't think they're raising their ace tens or. <laughs> or fives or whatever other two pairs they get to the river with, I think they are probably probably too happy to call, honestly, once the flush gets there. Absolutely. They don't have any natural bluffs. Like the bluffs that hypothetically they could have would be a hand like Ace of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds. I think that's a hand that like, if we're looking for natural candidates to bluff, a hand that blocks the nut flush. The problem is that the hands that block the nut flush in this situation are also top pair. And human beings in general just don't find races with top pair. Like (laughs) it's very difficult for them to look at the ace jack and be like, Oh, I think I should bluff with this instead of just calling. Um, They're just much more inclined to auto call the river. So like not going to face hardly any bluffs here. So the irony of us using the bigger sizings on the earlier streets is that had you or I played the hand, we would have lost the bigger pot at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately We don't lose here that frequently. And when we do lose, we can play the river perfectly and likely get paid off by villains top pair in a much bigger pot. So moral of the story is size up on earlier streets when you have value versus what's likely to be a recreational player. Yeah. And I think the other big point that I would add is using 
what probably appears to a lot of people as like maybe a almost a meaningless data point of the middle position player flatting our under the gun open preflop and kind of just extrapolating as much as you can from that, which is, you know, like we sort of based our whole analysis on that sizing on this hand based on that one data point alone and using things like that to your advantage, um, just seeing, you know, players that have flatting ranges in position or flat the small blind or something like that. And then instantly just labeling them as a fish and playing accordingly, I think is, is really, really important to win rate. Absolutely. Like people ask, how many hands do I need to see before I can label this person as a fish? Well, you just need to see this hand. <laughs> you, just, you just need to open under the gun and then call in middle position and you go, oh, okay, this guy's likely a fish, right? Like, and that's the value of going through something like preflop bootcamp so that you understand what the regulars in your pool are doing and what they very much shouldn't be doing. And you get this one little data point and then you can make a bunch of assumptions that are very, very accurate that lead to us winning a much bigger pot than we otherwise would be able to. Yeah. And if you're someone who's like listening to this and like is thinking like, wait, I'm not supposed to have any flats from middle position versus under the gun raises, then I would highly, highly recommend preflop bootcamp to <laughs> anyone who is who has that kind of confusion right now. Correct. Correct. And thank you very much for hopping in. Today's Tactical Tuesday, my friend. Always great having these conversations with you. Maybe we'll see you next week. If anybody who's listening in the audience joins the VIP newsletter, hops into Greatness Village, maybe next week we'll do a villager-requested hand review analysis for Tactical Tuesday. I think that'd be a pretty cool thing to break down. So if you have any hands that are tricky, that are sticky, that you would like to possibly hear about on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, hop on the VIP newsletter, join the village, post them, and we'll see you next week.